Welcome to the Simple Church Podcast. We'd like to thank you for taking a few moments out of your day to listen to what God is doing here in Reynoldsburg, Ohio. We hope today's message will be encouraging and uplifting to you. To learn more about Simple Church, maybe you'd like to be our guest for a service, please visit our website at www.simplechurchohio.com. There you'll find more information about us, location, service times, and even online giving opportunities. And now, here's today's message. This is week two of it, and we are doing this series uh, to, as your pastor, one of my greatest goals is to help you understand your Bible uh, and to, to know it, right? To, to love it, to learn what's in there, and then ultimately to live it out. And, and the reason I want you to do that is because of something that Jesus said in Matthew seven twenty four. He said this, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who builds his house on the rock. So Jesus is talking about his words that he's saying, in other words, God's way of doing things, what he was teaching about God's ways, about God's kingdom. He said, if you put these things into practice, you're like a wise man and built a foundation on a firm, on a firm foundation, built a house on a firm foundation, right? And why is that important? Well, because he goes on and shares in the story that there was also foolish people who built their house on a, 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 or built it on sand or on a foundation that was not firm. And when the storms of life came a-blowing, those houses that were built on sand fell down. And so Jesus is saying, your life can be built on a firm foundation if you build it on God's word. Now, I want that for you. That's why this series exists. Because in 2020, guess what? Storms are coming. You said, my God, Pastor, it's early in the message. Couldn't you be a little more positive? All right. I'm positive storms are coming in 2020. It's going to happen. And when those storms hit your life, I need you to have a firm foundation. So that's why we're doing this series, talking to you all about the Bible, but it's also why we're doing 21 days of prayer and fasting. Now, if you're new to the fast, know that you can join us, but we started last Sunday. We're in day eight of our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And so what we do, we have a daily prayer focus that we post online that you can join us for, but then we also have corporate prayer. That means we gather together here on Saturday morning. We had our first one yesterday at 9 a.m., and we'll gather together for a time of prayer uh, from 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. And I'm going to tell you, we had our first one yesterday, and I believe that God was in the house and uh, gave me a message for you guys, and we'll do that every Saturday through this 21 days of prayer. Now, it's important that you have both understanding of God's Word and of how to pray, because both of those two together, where God is speaking to your heart and understanding how to talk to God through prayer, are powerful weapons that will help you build this firm foundation that you need for a better 2020. That's why, as we help you to understand your Bible and as we provide opportunities for, your, for you to pray, we also want to give you resources. So today, for anybody who needs one, if you don't own a Bible, we have Bibles we would love to give you at the Connect Center. You can't pay for them. Your, your generosity and your giving is already paid for it. So, so just grab one. They're free for you. But we also have these prayer guides to help you say, Aaron, I've never prayed before. I don't even know how to pray. And, and we understand that. Not everybody's in their same place in their spiritual journey. And so we want to give you some resources. And you'll find several different models or ways to pray. And they'll, they'll teach you how to do that here. You can watch some of my teaching series online about how to pray. But I believe you need those two things coupled together in order to have a different 2020. So that when the winds blows and the storm comes, that your house will stand. You'll have a firm foundation. Amen, everybody? So last week in this series, we talked about having a life that is built on God's word. This week, we're going to talk about understanding the Bible. Understanding the Bible. Because here's what I want for you. 
I want for all of us to go from a place where we read our Bibles out of like duty. And I don't know, for some of you, this may be the case. You might have been a Christ follower for a really long time, and maybe you read your Bible every day out of a religious duty, like I've got to do this, you know, and I want to keep my heart right, but I'm going to do it. I, I've got this duty to this, right? And, and it feels a little more regimented. Well, what I want to do is get it to shift in your heart from I have to do this to I get to do that. I get to read my Bible. Like I, I get to spend time with God. I get to get an opportunity to have his word in my heart. And that, that shift comes along with understanding God's word. Here's why. Because I believe that when you understand something better, you love it more. Like for me and my wife, we've been married for 15 years this June. And uh, yeah, thanks. And uh, I'm going to tell you that uh, she and I, uh, you know, I loved her when I met her. I mean, like the first time I saw her, I knew I loved her. And, uh, and, then, and then, you know, I, I discovered that as we started dating and then we got married, like I didn't really understand her though. We've been married 15 years, and we've had lots of experiences, shared lots of stories, and know lots about each other, and I still don't really understand her. <laughs> but I understand her better, and as a result, I love her more. It reminds me of this guy that was walking on a beach in California, and he trips over something, decides to go down and see what it was that he stumbled upon, and he finds this, this little, little lamp, and he dusts it off, and as he does, a genie appears in front of him, and the genie says, I grant you one wish. What would you like? And the guy says, well, you know what? I've always wanted to go to Hawaii, but I'm terrified of flying. How about this? Build me a bridge from the beaches of California all the way to Hawaii. And the genie says, do you know what an undertaking that would be? The concrete, the rebar. My goodness, the manpower. That's a big wish. He said, you got anything else you want to wish for? And the guy says, well, help me understand my wife. And the genie said, you want that bridge one lane or two? What do you want to <laughs> So just know that, guys, I'm going to help you guys out. We've got a relationship series coming up after we wrap up this series. So we'll help you get some understanding. And then also in March, we'll also have our very first marriage conference. We've typically joined other churches for our marriage conference this year. We're going to host it and hold it on our own, so that'll be something new for us. But more info to come about that. In fact, you can get whatever's coming up. We've got these new uh, calendars that are out. You can grab them. They're at the Connect Center, but it's, it's a quarterly calendar that gives you all the big dates and stuff that's going on. That's something that's new for us, but uh, you can take them. But, but my goal through this series, again, like I said, is I want you to understand God's word better because if you do, then I believe that you'll love it more. My wife and I, when we go out, one of the fun things I do is ask her intentionally, like, tell me a story that I haven't heard yet. Tell me something I don't know about you. And Sometimes it takes a little while to get that conversation going for her to reach back into the, what stories has she told me? What is it that I don't know about her? But, but every time we dive deeper into her story, I understand her better and I love her more. And that's my goal for you in the Bible. I want you to understand it and love it better. So, so for the next few minutes, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to cram a whole lot of stuff in as I help you understand your Bible. My encouragement for all of us is we become students of our Bible. That's how we learn it, right? We come to understand it. And I want to encourage you to take notes. You can do that if you didn't bring like a notebook. There's a notes section on the back of these Connect cards, so you can take notes uh, if you want to. And if you don't want to take notes, you can go ahead and take notes anyway. It'll be good for you. But, uh, but, but let's just jump in on understanding the Bible. First of all, the word Bible simply means book. There's nothing mystical about it. It just means book, all right? Uh, but, but it gets its name uh, from the Greek word biblios, and the word, Greek word biblios is based on an actual city 
named Byblos. And Byblos was known for importing, uh, their main import was papyrus or papyrus. And papyrus is used to make paper. So, so all of this to say that, that we get our name Bible from, from the word book, okay? And that's, that's its origin. And when you see the Bible written out and they, they call it a book, you always notice that it's capital B, right? And the reason it's not a lowercase b is because the Bible is not a book like any other book. It, it, is, it is the book that is the most read book in the world for all time. It is the best-selling book of all time. It is the most translated book of all time. Why? Because this book is like no other. It is truly God's word. It is God's word. And for those of you that are on the fence about whether that's true or not, whether you can you trust the validity of it being God's word because didn't men write it, well, let me tell you something. I'm going to help you more with that next week. We call that apologetics or helping you understand and wrap your head around why the Bible is true. But let me give you one of the truths this week. Here's a preview of what next week is going to be like. When we're talking about the Bible, you need to understand that it was written over a period of 1,600 years. 1,600 years in over a dozen countries on three continents by people from all walks of life. I'm going to add some other stats to that. It was written in three different languages, Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic, and it was written by about 40 different people. Now, the question is, when you look at that, 1,600 years, 40 different people, all those different languages, that time span alone, you have to ask yourself the question, how did they all write the exact same story without contradiction? How did that happen? Because when you look at other faiths and other religions, we have like Muhammad. Muhammad wrote the Quran. That's one person. Confucius, he wrote the, the, the Analects. That's one person. Buddha wrote the Tripitaka. I'm not even sure if I'm saying that right, but that's what he wrote. One person. But the Bible is not a book like any other book. 1,600 years, 40 different authors, same story. And you have to come to the conclusion that only God could have written this. It was written by poets, prophets, princes, kings, sailors, soldiers. I did work really hard to try to make this a rap, but I just couldn't do anything with it. <laughs> Attorneys, doctors, farmers, scholars, shepherds, priests, historians, fishermen, tax collectors, and businessmen. Boy, that did it, right? <laughs> it was something. Not sure what it was, but it was something. It was written in caves, ships, homes, palaces, prisons, and deserts. So again, the overarching question, how did they come up with the same story? And the answer is there are 40 writers, but there's only one author. There's only one author. That, that this is a book that God himself wrote. That man held the pen, but God inspired. He gave him the words to write. So that over 1,600 years these 40 different authors would not have had the opportunity to span their entire lifetimes enough to be able to reach to each other and say, this is the story, to collaborate everything all together. That these 40 authors wrote the book because God was the one who wrote it. In fact, and Paul said this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17, all scripture is God-breathed. That God-breathed means it's powerful. That God's words have the power in them to accomplish what he just said, right? We talked about that last week. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Righteousness just means right living, God's way of living. There's power for that, so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Here's the summary. God's word works. His ways works. They, they just work. 
His ways are best. He created us after all. They, they may feel restrictive to you, or they may feel like they go against your, your natural inclination, but, but they are God's ways, and they are best. They are intended for you. He's not trying to restrict you. He's trying to bless you. He's got something good for you. He's got something good for your marriage. He's got something good for your money. He's got something for your relationships, your sexuality, your emotions, your mind. He's got something for, for every single part of your life. And here's what will happen. If you let God's word get into your life, he'll transform every part of your life. So as we go on this venture today to, to seek to understand our Bible, I think one of the best things I can do is give you an overview of the Bible itself. Now, first, you need to understand, well, we're talking about a book here, right? There's a book that contains 66 other books within it. And the books that are written, most of them have a person's name attached to them that, that, that was either written by them or is about them. Uh, is, is, uh, they're organized in the Bible, not in a chronological way. In other words, you can't pick up the Bible. It's not like a storybook where you can pick up the Bible and re read it from beginning to end, and it happens all chronologically. If you try to do that, you're going to be very confused, Okay. So let me help you understand. It's not grouped chronologically. You can get those kind of reading plans. They're out there. They even print a Bible that is written chronologically for you. So they'll grab pieces of, of Psalms and insert it in the middle of, of parts of the, the Bible where David was alive and Chronicles and Samuel. And, and, and so they'll do that. Uh, you can get those reading plans. That's what I'm doing this year for the first time. I've never done it, but it's neat. Um, but the Bible's actually laid out in groups. Like the books are actually laid out in groupings. And when you understand that, that kind of helps you. So here they are. The first five books of your Bible are books of law. Now this is Genesis through Deuteronomy, and they contain the stories of creation, contains the story of, of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. You also have Noah in there and the ark and all the animals in the ship with all the, you know, the, the, the creepy crawly things. Ugh. They're on that boat and all the rain. Then we got Moses. We got Joseph with the coat, coat of many colors and, and, and Jacob and Esau and, and, and the Ten Commandments. And then, and then Moses leading the people out of Egypt to the promised land. That, that's what these first five books represent. The next set of books are historical books. And these are 12 books that, that cover the time period that, that is the expanse of the Old Testament. The Old Testament is the first half of the book. That's everything from the beginning of man all the way up to Jesus arriving. So these 12 books are historical books that cover Joshua. So come on, anybody. You guys know what Joshua fought the battle of Jericho, Jericho. All right, there's a few people that grew up going to church, right? All right. So, so, so Joshua takes over from Moses and actually leads the people into the promised land because Moses sinned and wasn't able to go in. And so Joshua leads in and then and takes over Jericho and, and, and many other different cities, but but, but the rest of it, the rest of the historical books, they end up in Esther. And Esther is actually when the Jewish people were exiled to, is, to uh, Babylon, the, the Babylonians took them to Babylon, and the Jews wound up staying there in exile for a really long time until the Persians came in and defeated the, the Babylonians. And, and this is the time that, that Esther's time happens, where, where Esther becomes queen and she saves her people, right? And so that, that whole timeline is covered there in those 12 historical books. As you move on in the Bible, you get to the next ones of the five uh, poetical books. And this is Job through the Song of Solomon. And again, these are all written at different times throughout the historical books. And then we get to the prophetical books, which there are 17 of them. 
And, uh, and here's the deal. Each one of these books are written by a prophet, but all of them live during those historical times, okay? So from Joshua to, uh, to Esther, all right? And they're broken down into two sections. There's the first five are the major prophets. And it's not that they're more important prophets. This was uh, Isaiah through Daniel. It's just that their books were bigger, all right? So they get, more, they get more space in your Bible. The next ones are the 12 minor prophets, and that's Hosea through Malachi. So, so that's how it's all organized. And then, and then what happens is after this time period ends is you get, you get 400 years of silence from, from, from the Bible. During this time, the, the uh, Greek conquest happens with Alexander the Great, and then the Roman Empire gets established, which is what leads us into Jesus' time. Because when you start the New Testament, we read that Caesar Augustus declares a decree that, a decree that there should be a census, and that's why Joseph and Mary are headed to Bethlehem, to his hometown. And then Jesus is born in a manger, right? And we know that story. We, we just celebrated Christmas. And so that's the beginning of the New Testament. And here's real quick how those 27 books are laid out. The first four are called the Gospels. And these books are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And the Gospels just mean the good news. It's the good news that Jesus had arrived, that God's son, his name would be Emmanuel. He would be God with us, that he had arrived with us and that he had lived his life. He'd die on the cross and resurrect and, 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 and more, right? And, and so this was the story of Jesus. If you ever tried reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John consecutively, and for the first time, you're like, didn't I just read this story? Well, you get over to Mark, didn't I just read this? But here's the deal. What it is is four different accounts of the same exact story of Jesus. Four different men's accounts of the same exact story. So while you, while you read Matthew, can't I just read one and just have one and done? No, because what's written in Matthew, not all of Matthew is contained in Mark and Luke or John. And what's all, all that's in Mark is not contained in Matthew, Luke, or John. What's in Luke is not in Matthew, Mark, and John, or what's in John is not in Matthew, Mark, or Luke. There's just bits and pieces. You get, that's right. You're welcome. You should try that. It was a little harder than you think. You got to do the finger thing while you do it too, right? That helps. Anyway. It's a, it's a full picture of who Jesus was. And each one of them give you a different side of Jesus to see while they tell the same story. And it's beautiful. You should read them all. But Jesus lives, dies, resurrects, and then he ascends to heaven. And the first church is established. And we get to the book of Acts. Acts is a single book, but it, it, it's commonly known as the Acts of the Apostles because the apostles are special messengers. These are the 12 disciples that Jesus had that he leaves to establish the church and spread the good news about him and, uh, and, and so that's what happens there. But the book really should be called The Acts of the Holy Spirit because this is where Jesus gives the Holy Spirit for the very first time. The Holy Spirit now is not just active on the earth. He's active in our hearts, right? He dwells within us. And so this, is a, this book is a historical record of the very first church. And during this time, many miracles happen. I mean, the very first day, the first day, the first service they ever had, 3,000 people said yes to Jesus. Come on, somebody. That's a church service I want to be part of someday, right? 3,000 people responding, saying yes. And so during this time, that happened, but churches were also planted. The disciples were traveling and planting churches in different cities around, around the known world at that time. And as a result, they, they would plant a church, they would stay a few years, and then they would move on. And then the disciples would write letters to those churches and these letters are commonly called the epistles, which brings us to the next set of books. It's, it's really the next huge chunk of books. It's the epistles. It's 21 books. It's Romans through Jude. And again, that's, that word epistles is just the letters. But it's written during the history portion of Acts. 
And it's valuable for instruction, doctrine. It's valuable to teach us how to live our lives, those 21 letters. They're super important to us. The Bible ends with one book. It's called Revelation. And this is pretty much all about the apocalypse, how this is all going to end. And it's a prophecy and a revelation that God gave to John. Now, you've heard John's name before. John is the same guy who wrote Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. There he is. And in that book, John calls himself the one that Jesus loved. He was so humble about it, you know? (laughs) And then John had so much to say that he went on and wrote 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. And then John, who is exiled for his faith, the story goes is that they tried to boil him in oil and he wouldn't die. And so they exiled him to the island of Patmos. And on the island of Patmos, while he's there with other prisoners, God gives him the revelation that we see here that, that happens in this book. And again, it's just about how it all ends. And so that's it. That's in, in total. That's your Bible. That's a general overview of how it all breaks down. And my hope is, is that it helps you, that as you read your Bible, you understand there are groupings. They exist this way for a reason. And, and, and my, my point is, is that there are a lot of stories that you're going to read. There's a lot of things that are said there, but there's all one subject, a, a through line that we, we can call it. And and I'm going to share it with you, the the main plot of the entire Bible, through something called the mirror image, the mirror image. So if you throw that up there on the screen, let me me just walk you through it. Now, what you're going to see here, I'm going to come back here and just kind of explain what we're looking at, is beginning of time, and we'll go up and over to the end of time. So walk with me here as we do it. We probably could have done this a little better, but I'm not so swift on the layouts like this yet, so uh, forgive me as we try to walk through. But the, the first thing is, is the beginning of your Bible. So we start here on the bottom with God and righteous man in paradise. Now, this is the beginning of the story, and this is God's dream for you. Man was righteous. He was perfect. The garden, the whole world was perfect. And they walked in perfect relationship with God. Fellowship was, was the Bible says that Adam and God walked together in the garden. Can you imagine? But then what happens? The next thing up, Satan and sin entered in. And here's what happens when sin enters in. Sin ultimately separates. It separates us from God because while he remains holy, we are unholy. And that that difference between the two of us causes a gap. And some of you feel that gap today. You feel distant from God, from the one who created you, and you don't know how to bridge that gap. And I'm going to help you with that by the end of the service, but that's what sin does. It creates that chasm. It creates that distance. And sin also causes chaos, which leads us to the next part of the story where the world judged and destroyed. The Bible says that man's heart up until this point was constantly thinking of nothing but evil. And as a result, God decides to hit the redo button. He gets Noah and his whole family and all the, all the you know, two, two of every animal, except the unicorns and the dinosaurs, apparently. I don't really know why that's the case. But they get, get, they get them all on the boat. And it rains for a long time. And they're on that boat for a really, really, really long time. And God starts over with humanity to repopulate the earth using Noah's family. But it didn't work because they were still sinful There was nothing reconciled about them. Sin continued. Chaos continued. And so that gap existed, and because people couldn't reconcile it, they decided that they were going to become like God and reach heaven with a tower. This is the story of the Tower of Babel. And they instituted what is known as, here's the next one, a one-world government system. One-world government system. 
They spoke the same language, and they all had the same goal. And that goal was because they couldn't get close to God relationally, they figured they would climb up to heaven and they were going to overtake God. Well, that didn't work. God knew what was going on with the plan, and so he confused all their languages, caused division among them, and a bunch of nations were born as a result of it. So God steps onto the scene and says, you know what, I'm going to get involved. And he created a system. He created a, a, a way for us to be connected to God in fellowship. Now, at this point in the story, you might be asking yourself, or maybe even me, Aaron, because that's my name, Aaron, why didn't God just give him Jesus from the beginning? Well, as you read the story, and it's something you probably already know, there's this term called a stiff neck. We're stubborn. Humanity is stubborn. We refuse to do things. Even though we have Jesus, we still are to a point today refusing to accept his help, to accept what he did for us. We're insisting on paying for our sins ourselves, right? We're stubborn people. And I believe that it was God's plan to walk out every possible option for us to show us our absolute and total need for Christ. So he walks out, we walk this part out, and God says, I'm going to get involved. And he gives you the 12 tribes of Israel. These are God's holy people. These are his chosen people. And he says, all right, I'm going to give you the law. The problem is, is that the law, the law was helpful to them to understand how to have fellowship with God, but it was a bunch of external stuff. It was a bunch of stuff that they did on the outside, but on the inside, they hated doing it. They resented it. They didn't like that they had to do it. So the, so if, if the law in the end was ineffective. It did not work because it ultimately wasn't in their hearts. And of course, this is the difference between the Old Testament part of your Bible and the New Testament. The Old Testament contains a whole bunch of laws. You better not do that, right? It's almost like Santa Claus thing. You better watch out. You better, better uh, tell you what, right? So you're watching all the things that you're doing, but there's no concern for your actual heart. There, there's no concern there. But in the Old Testament, that was Jesus's concern. It was the concern for your heart. And so God's ultimate plan is where Jesus steps in. And Jesus is the difference between these two categories here. In fact, Jesus should be bridged right across the top two. Because Jesus stepped in, and what Jesus did was he paid a price for our sins. He paid the price to bridge that gap. He died on the cross and was brutally murdered, and then he left his Holy Spirit to indwell in us so that we didn't have to worry about about honoring the law externally anymore, our hearts were changed and we suddenly wanted to honor God's law, to do things God's way. It changed everything. Jesus did that for us and transformed our hearts. And as a result, Jesus said, I'm going to establish and build my church. That's the next part of the story. So we start the next category. See how it's a mirror image, by the way? 12, 12 tribes over here, 12 disciples over here. The church and God are God's holy people, Right? We see Jesus, Jesus set up this new church, and we're living, by the way, in this time right now. We're actually in this part of history, in this part of biblical history. We're living out the rest of the book of Acts. That's us. We're in that time right now because as you continue to read on to, in the Bible, this becomes things that will happen in the future. And Paul predicted exactly what was happening today. Jesus predicted it. Daniel predicted it, that there would be a falling away in the end times. That man, who has, who's stubborn, by the way, stiff-necked and stubborn, 
would turn away from God. We would choose to. Paul says this in 2 Timothy 3. He says we just wouldn't have ears for sound doctrine anymore. In other words, we're not going to listen to God's words and ways. We're going to be salad bar Christians. We're going to pick and choose what we like off the salad bar, right, from God's word and say, well, this is what I like for me. The problem with that is that makes you God, not God, God, right? But Paul said this was going to happen, that people will choose to live their own ways. And here's the thing. They weren't going to reject church because they like church. Church makes them feel good. We like the community. We like the fellowship. We like coming to church and singing kumbaya, and we like all that. We just don't want to live the way the Bible tells us to live. Paul said this. They would have a form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Denying the power thereof is denying God's ways in your life. Because when you honor God's ways, they work. We have an outward, external form. And that's what's happening in this day. More and more people are falling away from God's church. And what's happening is, and the direction that we're heading is, the next one here, and you can see this in the news. You can watch it play out. I'm going to show you a few ways, but a one-world government system. You know, 20 years ago when I first heard this story, well, even actually probably 30 years ago at this point, man, I'm old. I'll be 41 next Sunday. My goodness. Yeah, whoa, I heard that. Hey, calm down, all right? Calm down. But, but when I first heard this, and they would tell me that a one-world government system was coming, we were headed towards cashless society, and that we were headed towards a system that, that, you know, that the beast would rule. I was like, how is all that going to be possible? But let me tell you, we are seeing models of it today. A common currency? Europe already has a model with the euro. You can spend that on all those countries over there. It's, it's one currency. Cashless society, hey guys, we're living in it today. Everybody's got debit cards, credit cards. That's how we pay for everything. Some of us don't even have this. We just boop it with our phones. Boop, boop, right? Or what about the system that the beast is gonna set up for buying and trading? You read about this in Revelation, says that there'll be a mark that you receive. John didn't understand it, but he talked about a mark you would receive in your hand or your wrist in order to be able to buy or sell things. That means you're going to be at Walmart. Yeah, I'll take one of those. Boop. <laughs> you're laughing, but it's, it's prophecy, and guess what? It's happening. There's a company in Wisconsin who's requiring all their employees, if you want to work there, they are microchipping you, guess where? In your wrist. They're microchipping you. It gives you access to doorways, to your workspaces. It gives you access to pay for lunches and vending machines. They're doing it already, guys. They're doing it. You say, well, how can all this be? They're already doing it. It's happening around the world in different pockets. How easy it would be for someone to come in and to establish themselves. Someone known as the Antichrist, who would be very anti-Christian, who would lead all of this and establish this world system that we've just casually stepped into. So one world government is coming. But God will respond in the rest of his story. He'll bring his church to heaven. It's something we know is, as, and believe in is called the rapture. is identified in, in Thessalonians and other places that Paul writes about it. And then God will return and judge. So the world's going to be judged, and the world will be re- destroyed. Ultimately, God's going to redo this whole place, but he's not going to destroy it like with water like he did before. He promised he'd never do that again. He's going to destroy it with fire because fire is a purifying. It's cleansing. And so you say, well, Aaron, I thought we were just going to go to heaven. That's where we stayed. No, no, no. Your Bible says we go to heaven for a time, 
But then we'll have a choice whether we stay in heaven or we, we dwell on the new earth. Like it'll be, heaven will be like a city we can visit, just like you can visit San Francisco, right? Not saying that San Francisco is heaven. You just don't see what I'm saying. Like, you know. I just wanted to be clear. I don't know why I felt the need to be clear. I'm sure San Francisco's lovely. I've never been there, you know. Heard they got a big bridge, but uh, anyway. And I love rice aroni, so. <laughs> Let's just keep going here. So God will purify the whole world by fire. We'll have a new world, and he'll establish his new people with people who's, who have him in their hearts. These are the people that he's taken to heaven with him for this time. And then the next thing that will happen here, you'll see here Satan and sin exit. Just like Satan and sin entered over here, Satan and sin will exit. God will throw Satan into the lake of fire where he'll stay for eternity. And God establishes our new home here. And this is where we spend eternity with God. And God and redeemed man in paradise. Now, you notice here we started off God and righteous man in paradise. But here it's God and redeemed man because man lost his righteousness. And the Bible says that, that even though we tried, our righteousness, the best that we could do, our right living before God was filthy rags. It was no good. It didn't work. We needed another solution. We needed Jesus. And Jesus came and paid a price. He bought us back. Though we walked astray, though we left the fold, Jesus paid the price to bring us back. That's why we're redeemed. That's what redeemed means. We were bought back. We've been paid for. Jesus did that. So God and redeemed man will spend together eternity in paradise. Now, I don't know about you. I don't know what you think of heaven. Maybe you think it's some kind of celestial retirement home, but that's not what heaven's all about. Heaven and the new world that we'll have is described as paradise. Well, paradise, the best word that we have to, to translate that to to help us understand it is the word resort. Anybody ever been to a resort? I've been to one of those all-inclusive resorts, right? When you get off the bus, like they get you at the airport and they get you in a nice coach, air-conditioned bus, right? And you pull up and there's people waiting out there. Mr. Aaron, I take your luggage? Yes, please take my luggage. And, and all of these, these niceties, they, they treat you so well and everything's paid for and you, you just get to eat all day long and lay out at the beach and, and, and by the pool and, and it's paradise, it's resort, it's lovely. You should try it sometime. It's good. I've only been to one, though. But I'm looking forward to it. I think if you understood what heaven was really like, you'd want to be there now, too. That's the thought. That, that man, I couldn't wait to get there. So we would talk about this life as if, as, man, I, when this life is over, the afterlife is heaven. No, listen, this is the before life. Heaven and the new earth is our life. That's where we'll spend the, the majority of our time anyway. Like, right, what do we get? 60, 70 years, maybe 100 here on this earth. And eternity is a real long time that we're going to spend in heaven. And if you want to know more about heaven, I've done messages on it. You can go listen to them. But, but you need to understand that's your, the full picture of your Bible. That's, the, that's all of it and what we call the mirror. And you, you see that as it's played out. But I want to give you a last couple thoughts as we close out our time today, because that's the plot of the entire Bible, right? That's it. But there's also a subject. What is the subject of the Bible? And if you had to guess, you'd probably say it was people. Yeah, because God loves his people, right? That people are the subject. And the, that's a good idea. I can see where you would arrive at that conclusion. But actually, the subject of the entire Bible is Jesus. You see, Aaron... I thought, I thought he doesn't show up until the New Testament. I mean, like, there's 39 books before he even shows up on the scene. No. No, no, Jesus is in every single book of your Bible. 
He's there from the beginning. In fact, John 1, 1, speaking of the beginning, that in the beginning was the Word. This is Jesus, by the way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And by him all things were created, and through him all things were created. For him all things were created. Jesus was there at the creation account. God saying, let us make man in our own image. Jesus is there. We see Jesus show up with, with those boys in the, in the fiery furnace. They threw three men in. There was a fourth one there, and it was Jesus. We see Jesus show up in the Psalms as David talks about him. We see Jesus show up in over 300 prophecies throughout the Old Testament. Jesus is in every book of your Bible. In fact, Jesus said this to the Pharisees and, and the religious leaders of the day, modern-day pastors of their time. He said, you search the Scriptures because you think they'll give you eternal life. But by the way, the only scriptures they had at that time were the law, those five books of the law, and the prophets, those 17 books. He said, you search those because you think there's eternal life in there. He said, all of them talk about me. Every single one of them talk about me. They're all pointing to me. Why is that important? Because when you read your Bible, I want you to look for Jesus. Because he's there in the Old Testament pointing to how we can live today. He's there. He's absolutely there. So we understand the plot. We understand the subject. But if you were to break it down a little further, what's the verb of the Bible? You say, well, the answer has to be love, right? Because God is love, and this book is about Jesus and love. Well, again, I would say that's a good response. But it's not the right one. See, love is the foundation of the right verb. It's the motivation of the verb. But we can see the verb found here, and it's something greater than just love. It says, for God so loved the world that he, everybody say it with me, gave. Yeah, he gave. He gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. See, God didn't just love. He gave love. He expressed it. He showed it. He demonstrated it. And you need to see this. Because as you read the Bible, it helps define who we are and how we behave, how we interact with one another. It determines our behavior. And so the verb of the entire Bible is the word give. It's the word give. He gave his life, so we give our lives. He gave everything, so we give everything to him and to as many people as we can. See, the, the truth is, is that there's not a lot of people in line to give you what God gave you. So what do you mean by that? Well, God gave his only son. I'm your pastor. I love you. I love you lots. I pray for you. I, I love you. I'm, I'm here to lead you, love you, serve you, but I don't love you enough to give you one of my kids, not on their worst days. Seriously. My, my stomach just gets in knots thinking about giving one of my children for one of you. They're everything to me. And God's son was everything to him, and he gave him, not just for him to live among us, but for him to be brutally murdered, to pay a price that he didn't owe for all of us. And so our reasonable and only rational response to a God who gave everything to us is for us to give everything back to him in return. 
you know, salvation isn't about joining this church or joining a church. Even though it's part of your, your journey, you should do that. It's part of the, the system, and, and I think it's all important for you. It doesn't even have to be this church. There are plenty of good churches in Reynoldsburg. I think this one's a good one, but you need to, but that's not what salvation is about. Salvation also isn't about believing in God or believing in Jesus. There's plenty of people that believe in God and Jesus. Well, I mean, for crying out loud, the devil believes in God and Jesus. That, that's not the point of salvation. The point of salvation is that God gave, so we give. That, that is the point. And that's why we exist as a church. Church is to give. You know, for our Christmas services, we took up that offering, 100% of that offering we gave to the Dream Center. We regularly give to them. Dream Center is serving those that are underserved and underprivileged right here in the city of Columbus, making sure that they have meals, showers, places to wash their clothes, help to get their documents right so they can get jobs and, and, and take the next steps and move forward in their lives. We also, 2% of every dollar that comes in, we give to the Heart Food Pantry, which is right here in Reynoldsburg, to help make sure that people are eating. And I'm telling you, that food pantry has grown and grown and grown to be able to serve more people. We just got a report last week. They're, they're open five days a week now and serving thousands, thousands of people every week. It's amazing what God is doing through there. And God gave, so we give. We, we give to church planning efforts. We planted a church, our very first one, two years ago, right there on Hamilton Road, Harmony Church. We were helped and, and helped other missionaries plant a church in Indonesia just this year, which I just got another report on. And they have hundreds of people coming to Christ. It's amazing. In Indonesia, and, and our finances, we give again to local church planning here in Ohio, around this nation, and around the world. God gave so we give. That's why we exist as a church. I don't believe there's any greater calling for us. Give. Bible shows us God's love through Jesus, then teaches us how to express that love and to give our lives to others. 1 John 3, 16, and I'm going to close. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. Amen, everybody? Let's pray. Father, today I pray that you would help us to understand your word, that as we open it to read it on our own, that you would give us wisdom and revelation. Lord, as we gather together in our groups to study it, you would open, up, open it up to us and help us to love it, help us to understand it deeply. Let it become a firm foundation for us so that 2020 would be a year that we would look back on and the hallmark of it would be a year. This is the greatest year of my life. Lord, I pray that as the storms come, that our firm foundation would be your word, would be our relationship with you. That, Father, as the winds blow and as difficult times may, may come, Lord, we would stand firm in you. Huh. Father, we pray that, that you would help us to give as you gave and to love as you loved. Now in this moment, as we continue in prayer, I just want to speak to those of you that may be in the room that maybe you feel that gap between you and God. And maybe you've felt it for a long time or, and you've just known, like there's, there's a distance between me and the one who created me. The Bible says that God's put eternity in the heart of every man. In other words, that you know the difference when you're not connected with the eternal one, with your heavenly father. You feel it, you sense it. Today, I promised you I'd give you an opportunity to bridge that gap, to be reconnected with your Heavenly Father. 
And the way you do that is it's not by doing work. The work's already done. Jesus did it. He died on the cross for you. All you have to do is simply receive it. It's a gift. And you choose to do what you want with that gift. You can receive it today or you can reject it. But know that you don't need to pay the penalty for this, your own sins. You don't need to carry the weight of it. Jesus, Jesus is here to do that. He wants to give you a redo and a restart, a new life, hope for your life now, a full and fulfilled one, and then eternity in heaven with him. Just receive it. And the way we do that is through something called prayer. Saying, Jesus, I'm just going to welcome you into my life. And so I'm going to pray that prayer in a moment. I'll give you the words to do it. But if you're here in this room and you're ready to make that commitment, there's nobody looking around and nobody's going to embarrass you. In fact, we're going to celebrate you in a moment if you make the decision today. But would you just let me know, Aaron, I'm here today to make that decision. Would you slip your hand up and say, that's me. I need to do that right now. That's me. Do it now. Do it now. Yeah. Awesome. Proud of you. Proud of you. Thank you. Thank you. Church, let's pray together. Everybody out loud. These guys are part of our family now. Nobody prays alone. Say, Jesus, I need you. Come into my life. Fill me with your spirit. Forgive me of my sins. And make me brand new. Show me how to live for you. Thank you, Jesus. Amen.